Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Pau Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining this edition of Sports Business Radio. We've got an interesting guest lined up for you this week. Jeff Smolian, the CEO of MS Communications. He's the author of the book, Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down, The Ups, Downs, and Reinvention of an Entrepreneur. Jeff is one of the founding fathers of Sports Talk Radio. He started WFAN in New York City. He's worked with the likes of David Letterman, Mike and the Mad Dog, and many other talented radio talk show hosts. And Jeff owned the Seattle Mariners of Major League Baseball from 1989 to 1992 when Ken Griffey Sr. and Jr. played on the team. I think you're going to enjoy this insightful interview with Jeff Smolian on this week's show. All right, I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, let's get to some headlines. The Miami Heat hang on after blowing a 3-0 lead. They win Game 7 in Boston. They advance to the NBA Finals against the Denver Nuggets. This is probably not the matchup that TV executives wanted. They would have preferred the Lakers and the Celtics. (laughs) But I feel like these have been the best two teams in the playoffs. And uh, wow, Coach Spo says that his Miami Heat never make it easy, and they don't. (laughs) Isn't that true, man? What a series. I mean, it was so opposite of what you'd think the series would be. You know, I mean, Miami goes into Boston, wins the first two games. There's a shocker right there. Then they struggle a little bit after the third game. And then uh, have to come back in Game 7 and win again in Boston. I mean, uh, it's incredible that they won all those games in Boston. Eight seed, barely even got in the playoffs. Had to win the second you know, uh, play-in game to even get in the playoffs. And here we are in NBA Finals. So pretty fun. I think Denver's a, a solid team. I don't know who's going to beat Denver this year. And, and they've had a nice week off of rest, too, which helps them. But, uh, you know, it's the NBA Finals. and Anything can happen. And Spo, happy for him and his team. Yeah, and that game six was an all-timer, right? Yeah. The last 10 seconds of that game Crazy. when Jimmy Butler makes three free throws, <laughs> pressure free throws. You know, you go down to the other end and you think Boston's done. And Derek White comes out of nowhere with point one and taps it back in on the offensive rebound. And that's how we get to this game seven. And then you think, well, Miami's lost all their momentum. They're going to choke it away. You know, they can't win a third game in this series in Boston. (laughs) And what do they do? They come out and they don't just win. They win convincingly. Now it didn't help Boston that Jason Tatum got hurt, but 
Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Celtics now. Uh, Joe Missoula, I would expect they make a change there at coach. I think their window to win is now. I don't think he's the coach that's going to be able to get them in win now mode. Um, and then I've got to say, like, part of your job as an NBA coach is talking to the media, whether it's in between quarters on TV or whether it's the postgame press conference. And he just doesn't like doing that part of his job. And I understand, you know, when you've lost a game, um, a tough one, a game seven, it, it's not fun to face the media, but it's part of your job and your players are feeding off of you and the example that you set. And, you know, win or lose, it, it's part of your job. And I just don't think he's very good at that part of his job. Um, not saying he couldn't get better, but I also think there's a lot of other reasons to move on. You know, do you look at Monty Williams? Do you look at Frank Vogel? Do you look at a more seasoned coach? If you remember, Missoula was kind of thrown into that job um, right before the season started after M.A. Udoka uh, was released by the team. So, you know, part of me feels bad for Missoula. He, he was never really groomed for this position. He was thrown into it and probably not given the proper training or assistance that he needed. But um, and it's not just his fault, right? Like there's a variety of other factors that led to this, including the Miami Heat playing really well. Um, I don't know that there's any player outside of Austin Reeves with the Lakers that has made himself more money during these NBA playoffs than Caleb Martin. Yeah, This is a guy who, you know, the rapper J. Cole had to beg the Heat to give a tryout to. <laughs> um, and they give him a tryout. And look at this guy. I mean, this guy was one vote away from winning MVP of the Eastern Conference Finals. He averaged over 20 points a game. He basically played Jalen Brown straight up stats wise um and that's so unexpected from the miami heat and this guy was a find so uh he his contract isn't up for um i think another two years he's the 193rd highest paid player in the <laughs> nba he certainly didn't pay play like it <laughs> by the way gabe vincent also played great and he's like the 397th highest paid player in the nba so you know, you've got these undrafted players, Griggs, that are playing way above their contracts. And I think that's a big part of the success of the Miami Heat is Spo and his staff develop these players better than any coach in the NBA and, and maybe in sports. They find these gems, these guys who are dogs, who have a chip on their shoulder, who feel undervalued like Caleb Martin and Gabe Vincent, and they give them a chance and they let them play free and and look how the dividends have been returned to them. Yeah, I think that's what makes the story of Miami so fun to watch is because it's such a team of no-names. I mean, it's, you know, other than Jimmy Butler and a couple other guys, but it's really these guys that no one's ever heard of until the playoffs. And all of a sudden they've shown up and the team has gathered around them. And, you know, Duncan's played well. Don't forget they haven't had Tyler Hero or uh, Allen Depot. I mean, it's like they've missed some, you know, some of their big star power and still stepped up with these no-names that have just really came to play. I mean, Caleb Martin's game, Last night was incredible. I mean, he was just hitting every shot. It was almost like Boston was playing with four. They couldn't get out there fast enough to defend these guys, and uh, shots were dropping. And you know, and Jimmy Butler came up in that fourth quarter too and started making some good drives down the lane and started playing like Jimmy. And uh, you know, you mentioned Jalen; he was struggling. I mean, he had eight turnovers, I think, by halftime. I mean, he was yeah. he could not dribble. He was uh, he was just getting forced to the the opposite way. He doesn't want to go, and he was losing the ball a lot. So he struggled that whole series. Uh, and, you know, I think I think it's just Miami peaked at the right time with the right players and uh, and it worked well for them. 
Well, Boston has a big decision to make on Jalen Brown. He is eligible for the Supermax since he made an all-NBA team, $295 million. That's more than Joker or any other player, Giannis, in the NBA. Do you give Jalen Brown a Supermax, $295 million? Um, If he doesn't get it from you, does he go somewhere else and settle for less than the Supermax? Do you trade him? Um, Big decision to make with Jalen Brown. Do you break up the Jays, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown, or do you continue to ride them, get a new coach, and hope that they can win a championship in this window that they seem to have, but that's closing quickly? It may have already closed, but um, you know that's going to be a big decision for the Celtics. Yeah, I think uh, Jalen didn't help his, himself much in the in the playoffs for that Supermax. He just didn't play like a Supermax star. I think he's got it in him. He's a great player and uh, a great leader, and I love his his confidence, and I love his... You know, talking to the media, he's well-spoken. We've had him on the show before. He's an awesome, awesome, smart guy. But I just don't think he did well for the Supermax. He just doesn't seem like a Supermax player right now. But again, what's Boston look like next season with coaching, with the roster? Who knows? I think there'll be some changes for sure. How about uh, FTX was on the Miami Heat Arena as the naming rights partner? And we've explained their story in great detail (laughs) that they're basically belly up. So... The Heat go to the NBA Finals. All the exposure FTX would have gotten as part of this down the drain. Kucera uh, is the Kucera Center, I think is what it's mm-hmm. called. They're going to be the beneficiaries because they swooped in and you know picked up the remaining 17 years of the naming rights <laughs> on the Miami Heat Arena. Ball Arena is the home of the Denver Nuggets, so they're going to get some nice exposure over the next couple weeks with the NBA Finals as well. Griggs, a few other NBA notes. Nick Nurse, longtime coach of the Toronto Raptors, is now the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers, according to multiple reports. And Adrian Griffin, who was an assistant to Nick Nurse in Toronto, is the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks and supposedly handpicked by Giannis for that position. And the Bucks want to keep Giannis happy, so Adrian Griffin moves to the head coaching seat. Um, interesting that Phoenix is still without a coach. And Toronto is without a coach. So uh, we'll see what happens in in those areas. But yeah, those are two interesting hires. Uh, You know, Nick Nurse is known for playing his players a lot of minutes. I'm not sure how that's going to work with Joel Embiid and James Harden (laughs) if you break them down during the regular season. But uh, yeah, great coach. And, you know, I think he'll bring a new energy to Philadelphia. And Adrian Griffin, you know, a lot of people have talked about him getting that top job for a long time. And if you've got the endorsement of uh, Giannis, that's a a pretty good endorsement in Milwaukee. Yeah, I feel like it's always the coaching hot potato more and more in a lot of leagues. I mean, we see it in the NFL, too. It's just like the offseason happens and all of a sudden it's musical chairs with the coaches. You don't have those long term coaches as much anymore. And even the stars, even the big coaches don't last a lot of times uh, long. I mean, like Coach Spo is what, 16 seasons? That's pretty amazing. I mean, for an you know, NBA coach to last as long as he's lasted with the same team. So, uh, yeah, it's always interesting. The offseason is always fun in these big leagues just because there's always movement in players and coaches and staff and uh, arena names and everything else. So it's, uh, it's fun to watch, and we'll see where some of these other coaches end up as the season rolls along. Yeah, I'm not sure what the Suns are doing. Yeah. You get rid of Monty Williams, and you should know who your plan B is. And I say this all the time in sports. If you're going to fire your coach, have the 
you know, shore list of successors and be ready to activate on one of those successors. I don't get it when these teams get rid of a coach and then they're like, well, let's just see who's out there. Yeah. And there were some good coaches out there, you know, Nick Nurse and uh, Doc Rivers is still out there. I don't think he's a good fit in Phoenix. Um, the hot name is who? Uh, from the Bucks. Coach uh, Bud from Milwaukee is still out there. Um, but Kevin Young, the assistant to Monty Williams, seems to be the hot name in, in Phoenix right now. Or is there a surprise name that no one's talking about? I don't know. But when you get rid of your head coach, you should have that short list and, and be able to activate it. Like the best example I can think of, the best two examples. One, Pat Riley knew that Spo was going to succeed him. He was handpicked. Like that worked out pretty well. Yeah. Two, when Doc Rivers left years ago with the Celtics, uh, Danny Ainge knew that he was going to go to the college ranks and get Brad Stevens. So they knew who the replacements were if that day ever came where they lost their head coach. A lot of these owners in front offices, they don't know who's going to be the replacement and they get rid of the coach and they think it's going to be easy to hire someone else and it's not always easy. Look, the Suns have KD and Booker. You know They haven't found the right fit yet. So... And you've got to bring someone in there that those guys respect because they're strong personalities and they're veterans. And, you know, you got to have a voice in there that they're going to listen to. All right. The next headline, the NHL Stanley Cup. Briggs, the Panthers and the Golden Knights are going to be playing in the Stanley Cup finals. Right. Didn't didn't I went to bed early last night. Didn't Vegas beat six to zero. OK. All right. So I just want to make sure mm-hmm. I, I wasn't. Yeah, I went to bed. It was four zip. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I, I think that's going to wrap it. Yeah, but you know, maybe there was a comeback by Dallas, but obviously not. So, you know, here's another example. We've talked about this. The Florida Panthers. You know, they've had a historic run, just like the Miami Heat. Um, they took down the top seed of Boston Bruins, who had the best regular season of any team in NHL history. They've gone through a number of teams to get to the Stanley Cup, and then. You know, Vegas Golden Knights have been pretty good so far in their existence, and they're back in the Stanley Cup. So that should be a good matchup. Again, I'm not sure it's going to be TV ratings gold, but it is going to be good hockey. Yeah, and you know, I mean, if you're an NHL team, I don't know if you want to play Florida. Those guys have been playing out of their, you know what, because they have upset every team. They're winning on the road every game. I mean, they, they are just on fire. So if you're Vegas, you're probably a little bit nervous, and Vegas has home ice too, but uh yeah, it'll be a fun series. It's a different series. I mean, who would have, who would have predicted Vegas and Florida? Nobody. I mean, maybe Vegas on the outside, but Florida, no way. <laughs> and here we got. Just them like in. no one would have predicted Denver and Miami right. in the NBA Finals. Like maybe Denver. Yeah, not Miami. And that's the fun. That's the parody of of these two going on right now. You know, you've got two matches that uh, nobody expected, and I'm going to be watching both because it should be fun. All right. This part of the conversation, I'm going to give our listeners about five seconds to drop out if you don't want to hear spoilers, because we're going to talk about the end of Succession on HBO, and we're going to talk about the last episode of Ted Lasso, which has not aired yet, and we do not have a screener, so we do not know the end of Ted Lasso, even though we've had several of the actors from the cast on the show, and I think I know how it's going to end. Um, but duck out right now if you don't want to hear the next uh, couple minutes of Succession and Ted Lasso talk. All right, Griggs, <laughs> the end of Succession. Wow. Um, I thought it was going to have a chaotic ending. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually tied up more than I thought it would be. 
Um, many people are calling Tom Walmsgans the winner. I don't really see it. I mean, are are you winning when you're going to work 90 hours a week? You're basically going to be your boss's uh, punching bag. Um, I, I I think he wanted the power so badly, much like Kendall did, that he was willing to do anything to be the CEO of Waystar Royco. Um, but at the end of the day, the three siblings just couldn't get out of their own way, right? Like these, as, as Logan Roy said before he passed, you are not serious people. <laughs> and they showed in that last episode, especially in the conference room scene, they're not serious people. They were not capable of running uh, a company of this magnitude. But look, what a run by succession. Four of the best seasons of TV that I've ever watched in my lifetime. The casting, the acting, the writing, the delivery of the lines, the sets on the yachts and you know Italy and the Caribbean and all of these places. What a show. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know where you start. That show from top to bottom was hands down one of my favorite, if not my favorite. I think uh, you're right. I think the filming and the writing, everything about it, the scenes, New York, everything they did was phenomenal. The cast was so good. I mean, hand all of them out awards because it's just like they should just clean the slate because they uh, they killed it. And that last episode was such a whirl, a roller coaster all over the place. I mean, I love the scene with the kids when they're swimming at their mom's house, you know, yep. and they're like, it's you, it's you, it's you. And then the scene in the kitchen where they're <laughs> licking the cheese and throwing food on each other. And um, there's just so much, uh, you just feel the tension, the joy. Is it joy? Is it, is it fake? Is it real? And then I thought one of my favorites was when Tom comes in and tells Shiv, it's me. And Shiv's right. face is just like, it's you. Oh my gosh. And uh, I mean, just the up and down. What a, what a ride. What a great show. I had a lot of fun watching it. It looks like the final scene that they filmed, according to what I saw on social media, was that scene in the kitchen where okay. <laughs> they basically put the crown on Kendall and they do that by dumping a disgusting drink <laughs> on his head. Because yeah. um, after that scene, in real life, um, Sarah Snook and Kieran Culkin shaved Jeremy Strong's head. So you would think that's the final scene because the final scene that we see, he still has his hair, right? right? So <laughs> Uh, what a fun final scene and the camaraderie and chemistry that that cast had, even if they were arguing with each other on the show, you could just tell mm -hmm. how close they were. And, and um, you know, that's one of those rules where, you know, it's like Gilligan or the Fawns, you know, <laughs> you're probably carrying that role. You're typecast in that role yeah. for the rest of your career, which is, Maybe not the worst thing, mm -hmm. but I'm always going to see Jeremy Strong as Kendall. I'm always going to see Karen Culkin as Roman. Yeah. I'm always going to see Brian Cox as Logan. Um, <clears throat> you know, Sarah Snook as Shiv. So it, it's it's going to be hard for them to play other characters going forward. But again, what a brilliant show. And I thought all in all, <clears throat> they left some things undone. You know, like the election, we never really knew how that turned out, like mm -hmm. who won as president. Um, you know, there were a few other things that were left undone. But in the end, we know that, you know, Shiv had that deciding vote. By the way, why wasn't Connor there at yeah. the table with the deciding vote as well? Like it just it was interesting to me that it all came down to Shiv. Mm -hmm. Like 
you know, it just happened to be her vote that was last. And then she waffled on her brother or her at least current husband. I don't think their relationship seems like it's going to be long for the world. (laughs) But um, yeah, so many different dynamics to it. And I thought they tied it up pretty well. I mean, as far as series finales go, um, it was pretty darn good. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think, uh, yeah, I think with every show you have some you know, things left untied because you have to, you can't, you can't wrap every single thing. There's so many elements of the show too. You can't wrap them all up. Uh, I still think the big shocker was uh, killing off Logan in episode three that I think that floored everybody. Cause they're like, why so early? But then you see how it develops and how it worked. And obviously he's still a part of the show, even though he's not in the show. But uh, yeah, I think, uh, wow, just a, just a fun show. Uh, that scene at the end when um, Kendall's just walking out to the the ocean you know and it's just like oh you just feel you feel the the pain just the stress and just the what just happened you just feel that on his back so i thought that was a good way to end it with him too just kind of walking off in the sunset but uh yeah great show all around loved it hbo comes through again yeah i mean he yearned for that job and he said like you know uh, he would die without that job i mean he was pleading with his sister to vote for him as the deciding vote and in the end, she just said, like, I, I can't do this. And and even, you know, Roman put it very succinctly. He said, we're all bullshit, right? Like, that's what he said. So it was very interesting. I'll say this. You know, we've seen this in sports business a lot where the visionary, the Logan who owned the team and had the vision dies. And then it's left to kids or grandkids or other relatives or friends or whoever, and they don't have the same vision. They don't have the same drive to run this team. And then you see the team plummet. And um, I think the way they describe the kids in the show and, and portrayed them, it's pretty accurate. I mean, look, there's a little bit of Hollywood and embellishing, but for the most part, it's really hard for the people succeeding the visionary to have the same level of, of success as the original, the the Logan Roy. Yeah, I mean, every person's different. Logan had, uh, even in the funeral when Kendall's talking about how his dad was basically a badass and everybody hated him, but you had to listen to him. He had that commanding force that not everybody has, and the kids didn't have it. The kids just didn't have it. They couldn't fill that role. And uh, yeah, I think you're right. You see it in the sports business all the time. We're in Portland. I mean, we saw it with Paul Allen when he passed, and it goes to the sister who clearly doesn't have the same vision and the love of the teams that that uh, her brother had. And, and that's just an example. You just see how it changes the whole dynamic of the whole system. Yeah. All right. The other show that we have to talk about real quickly is Ted Lasso. Again, you know, we're big Ted Lasso fans. We've had several of the cast members on the show this year and in years previous. Um, they're coming up with their final episode. Episode 11 of this current season was my favorite episode of the whole series. It was so poignant. It hit on so many interesting topics, whether it's parental relationships uh, with Ted and his mom or Jamie and his dad. Um, You know, family isn't always your blood relatives, as Jamie has found out with Roy and Keeley. Like, you know, they're his ride or dies. you know, so it's, it's amazing what this show is discussed. It's not a soccer show. It's about uh, close bonds. It's about mental health. It's it's about a lot of different things. And 
the way they have tackled these topics and so eloquently weave them into the storylines and the development of the characters. Again, it's as good as any show that I've watched in a long time, totally different show than Succession. But if you're just talking about character development and writing and acting and probably dealing with topics that are even more relatable than Succession, because what the 1% of the world is living the life that the actors on Succession are living. Um, it's a really fantastic show. I, I love how, you know, the Nate arc is finishing up here. Um, and there's just so many like great messages within the show of Ted Lasso. And I am going to miss that show immensely when it's done. I, I look forward to that show every week. And, you know, I'm so lucky that I went to London last year. And I went to the pub. I went to the red telephone booths. I, I, I've been to so many of the places uh, where they've shot this show. So I feel like I have a connection to this show, unlike most shows I've watched in my life, because I've gone and seen all of these places where they did the show. Yeah. In high school, I went to Amsterdam. So that episode when they're, mm -hmm. you know, cartwheeling down the uh, bridges and riding the bikes through Amsterdam. That was cool because I remember some of those sites. So I know when you, when you've been to a place where these shows are, are filmed, you're like, oh, I can relate to that more. But I think, yeah. uh, I think it's cool about Ted Lasso too is, you know, before it even came out, you think, oh, it's a soccer show. Cool. Mm -hmm. But then it quickly, you realize, wait, there's a lot more than just soccer here. And I like how they still keep some soccer scenes in it and some stuff on the pitch and everything and some of the games. But man, you're right. I mean, the weaving of these stories and the character development and how each player has, you know, a story with their dad or their family member or where they came from or the refugee stuff. Or I love just how they've they've just tied it all together so masterfully. And uh, again, the writing is amazing. The filming's awesome. I love the scenes and the little, you know, the pub and the little uh, stadiums they're playing in and uh, the tour buses. And it's just a, it's a brilliant show. It's made very well. And uh, yeah, I look forward to it. And it's going to be sad to see this one go too. Well, and it's got to be in the top five of the old time fictitious sports teams, sure. right? Like AFC Richmond, like yeah. who isn't <laughs> going to root for them going forward or wear the gear, right? Um, you know, we've had those other shows of, of the past, um, you know, whether it's Friday Night Lights or One Tree Hill or Welcome Back Cotter or, you know, I'm sure there's some that I'm forgetting, but you know, there are those fictitious teams of the past, but AFC Richmond, I mean, one of the all time yeah. favorites. And I got to say, uh, you know, there's a lot going on with streaming right now. This is Apple TV Plus's most popular streaming show. It has done wonders for their streaming business. This got a lot of people like myself through the pandemic, mm -hmm. right? Like this was on during the pandemic. We could watch and look forward to this during the pandemic. And again, it wasn't just about soccer. It was about mental health. It was about a lot of things other than soccer. You know, like you said, you thought that first episode, oh, it's a bumbling American football coach that's going <laughs> to try and learn how to coach, you know, European soccer. And it's anything but that. Like, that's just a small sliver of what the show is. So I hope it wraps the way that I think it's going to. I don't even want to speculate. We'll talk about it on a future show after. But seems to be heading that way. Things seem to be wrapping up with the characters. And, uh, you know, 
we get so attached to these TV characters. Yeah. Right? It's it's really funny. It is true. You, you start kind of becoming them in a, in a way. You know, you want to be Jason or you want to be whoever, you know, whoever the guy is or the girl you're watching. But uh, yeah, you kind of encapsulate it becomes part of your life. And especially like you mentioned through the pandemic, we were all looking for something fun, something to entertain us, something to get our mind off of, you know, what was going on. So it was nice having, you know, Ted Lasso as part of that uh, journey through the pandemic. But yeah, I mean, we've had some great, some great shows. And uh, like you said, Apple TV plus is loving that they've got a big boost and they're starting to get some better content and more content too, which is fun to see. But uh, yeah, streaming is, uh, is the way to go now and it's taken over everything. So who knows what's next? Hopefully we get some more good shows down, down the line. Well, by the way, uh, episode 11 of the current season, the most watched episode of Ted Lasso to date. Nice. So I would expect the series finale to break that record and, and be the most watched people are going to want to see how it ends. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, they've had a great audience this season specifically. And uh, it's great. I mean, I would not want to be an Emmy award voter this year because <laughs> yeah. just between succession and Ted Lasso, I mean, who do you give the awards to? They, they've been so good. I don't know that I could make a choice. I, I would be really torn between those two shows and, um, who to give the awards to. Well, yeah. And it's like, it's, it's our day to day. Like every person I talk to, you can bring up lasso or succession. They're like, Oh yeah, I couldn't believe that. Like it's, it's pop culture. It's the norm. Everybody knows it. Everybody watches them. So it's like, yeah, I don't know how you would get anybody else to give uh, Emmys to anybody else, because I think everybody knows about it and the acting and the writing and, and the music and everything part of both those shows just so dialed in and so perfect. I love it. All right. The coast is clear. We're done talking about succession and Ted Lasso <laughs> until, uh, you know, our next show when we talk about Ted Lasso in more detail. Um, I want to let our audience know that we're doing something new. It's with underdog fantasy and we have our underdog of the month. Each month we're going to team with underdog fantasy to name an individual or team who has beaten the odds as our underdog of the month. And this month's underdog, we just talked about them, the Miami Heat, the first ever play-in team to advance to the NBA Finals as an eight seed. They took down Milwaukee. They took down Boston. They took down the Knicks. They were three minutes away from losing to the Chicago Bulls in the second game of the play-in, and now they're on their way to the NBA Finals. So Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent, Five of Miami's top nine rotation players were undrafted. Coach Spo develops players as well as any coach in pro sports. This is his sixth time in 13 years that he's taken the Miami Heat to the NBA Finals, but no one expected this. Long odds on the Heat at the beginning of the season and especially at the beginning of the playoffs with three minutes to go in that play-in against the Bulls. You could have gotten really good odds, but... Uh, we're excited to be teaming with Underdog Fantasy to name our underdog of the month. And for May, it's the Miami Heat. Yeah, I think uh, it's a great new little feature we're doing because the underdog story is always fun. I mean, we love the underdog story. I grew up Hoosiers was my favorite movie, like the epic underdog team that no one expected to come through win the, the title. So, yeah, I think it's a great feature. There's lots of underdogs out there that you don't expect, which is fun when they they come to fruition and, and all of a sudden you've got the heat in the finals. So, uh, yeah, uh, thanks to Underdog Fantasy. We love uh, being on their app and doing our picks. And uh, this is just another way to get involved with them. Yeah. And we've got a special offer for Sports Business Radio listeners with Underdog. New users get up to $100 
matched on their first deposit when they use the promo code SBR. So download the Underdog Fantasy app at underdogfantasy.com, then enter the promo code SBR. You get $100 on your first deposit to play with. You can play Pick'em, Rivals, or draft your team for the upcoming NFL season with best ball. We're going to be doing another show in July where Griggs and I draft our, our best ball team with underdog fantasy. Hopefully Griggs isn't going to take a wide receiver again DK. with his first pick. DK <laughs> Metcalf. Um, I crushed him last <laughs> season, but I'm having a lot of fun in the playoffs with pick and rivals. I mean, it's so fun. Like, you know, in the NBA finals, you could pit Jimmy Butler against uh, Nicole Jokic or Jimmy Butler against Jamal Murray, who's going to have the better all-around stats. There's a lot of fun matchups and makes watching the games a lot of fun. And like we said, if you use promo code SBR, you can get that $100 that kicks you off. His underdog will match that. So make sure that you do that. All right, coming up next, Jeff Smolian. You may not have heard of him, but when you hear his stories, you're going to go, wow, this guy's worked with David Letterman, Mike and the Mad Dog, Ken, and Ken Griffey Jr. and Sr. Um, he's owned the Mariners. He started WFAN. Like He's got an incredible background and some great stories to share. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Underdog Fantasy is the easiest place to play fantasy sports. It's also the fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Your fantasy leagues might be over, but you can still play fantasy sports games on Underdog Fantasy. I love playing Pick'em and Rivals. With Pick'em, you can pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. You can win 20 times your money in a single night. You pick between two and five players to build a pick'em entry. Also, rivals pits two players against each other. That's a lot of fun, too. It could be two players on the same team. It could be two players from other teams. Points, rebounds, fantasy points. It's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying that with NBA games especially right now. Sign up today with promo code SBR and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the App Store. And don't forget to register with my promo code SBR, like Sports Business Radio, to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Must be 18 plus and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-522-4700 or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Jeff Smolian. He is the CEO of MS Communications. He's the author of the book, Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down, The Ups, Downs, and Reinvention of an Entrepreneur. Jeff is one of the founding fathers of sports radio. He started WFAN in New York City. He owned the Seattle Mariners from 1989 to 1992. Jeff, thanks so much for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm great, Brian. Good to join you. All right, let's start with this. You are an entrepreneur. You have reinvented yourself many times. What makes for a good entrepreneur? I think, number one, um, surround yourself with great people. I've been fortunate. Uh, have a passion for what you do. 
I think it's very, very important to uh, make sure you create a collaborative culture where people are willing to walk in to you and say, I think you're wrong. Um, I see that a lot where a lot of entrepreneurs become successful and they think I got all the answers. Nobody has all the answers. Um, I've always said when I speak to college kids, I always say the most important thing to do in the world is go out and fail. Uh, cause we all do. Uh, when I was a college kid, I thought, well, the success is just a straight line up and everything is perfect. And that's not life. And that's why I named the book, never ride a roller coaster upside down. Cause a lot of times I always said life's a roller coaster and my career has been so crazy, crazy. I've ridden it upside down a few times. So, um, but I think it's what you learn after you fail, um, that really is a measure of your success in your life. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned from failure? I think the most important thing is, is be persistent, never quit. Um, look at different ways of doing something. Um, I think the, the most important thing is if you, if you love something, you'll keep at it. Um, and it will get you through the tough times. But I think, I think, you know, with failure, you learn the great lessons of life. I always said we did much better work during hard times and good times. When things are good, you're successful. It's like, yeah, I got this. No problem. When things are bad, it's like, okay, how do I reinvent myself? How do I solve this problem? Let me ask you this. Uh, failure working for someone else is one thing. Failure as an entrepreneur could make you risk averse. How do you say, stay so you're not risk averse? Well, you know, I always laugh. I, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. My father was an entrepreneur. My grandfather's an entrepreneur. So it was sort of in my blood. Uh, when I got out of college, I was going to get a master's in telecom. I went to USC, uh, which is probably not a name that anybody likes in Portland these days, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, and somebody said, go get a, a law degree. If you want to be an entrepreneur, go get a law degree. And I always laugh. I became a lawyer. I studied, uh, was, uh, wrote my law review article in the FCC. Um, and in those days, everybody said, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you got to get a law degree, got to be a lawyer. Hmm. Today, if you ask 100 people, they said, we'll get an MBA. Um, but in those days, it was like, no, nah, you don't, don't get an MBA. Um, and I laugh, if I had gotten an MBA, I probably would have understood the concept of risk and never would have been an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, be, because, you know, you, you, when you, people always say to me, how did you start with nothing and everything you had? You saved and you borrowed, but the company, I said, I don't know. I believed in myself uh, and I did it. Yeah. I love it. All right. Sports radio. You saw yeah. this before anyone saw it coming. What yeah. did you see that made you say, let me start WFAN. And this is a format that could grow to what? Five or 600 stations yeah. in the U.S. right now. Yeah. Um, I, so I had the idea for all sports radio when I was not paying attention to class at USC, um, which was a very common occurrence for me. Um, and years later, the company was growing. We, we specialized in FM music stations. Um, and we bought the last three double A stations and the, the AM was our first AM and it was in New York city. Um, it, it was the largest country music station in America at the time, although mm. That just meant it was about the 40th rated station in New York because there aren't that many country listeners in New York. Um, and, and I said, look, I, I think all music's going to end up on FM. Um, so I think what we need to do is, is think about this idea. Um, and what I mentioned to our people, 
uh, we had a manager's meeting. It got voted down. Um, and, you know, and, and finally they came in the next day and said, look, we, we think it's a stupid idea, but it's your baby. We'll do it. We owe you one. The company's doing really well. Um, and for the first year and year and a half, it was a disaster. And I have a favorite saying in life, the line between being a genius and an idiot is very fine. And I've been on both sides many times. And one chapter of the book is idiot to genius, which is WFAN. And then the next chapter is Genius to Idiot, which is uh, the Seattle Mariners. Um, but it was, it, Jim Lampley called it the Vietnam War Memos. It was known as Smullyan's Folly. Um, I'll never forget, after about a year, the station was not doing well. We bought the NBC stations. And in those days, uh, you could only own 1 a.m. and 1 f.m. So we decided to move the WFAN from its 1050 frequency to 660. Um, and we were inheriting Dot Imus. We could pick up his contract. who was on WNBC. And I'll never forget, I met with his agent, wonderful guy named Mike Lynn, and we were debating what to do. Um, and I said, let me see if I get this right. We, we carried the Mets, um, excuse me, by 1988, um, I think uh, it was well known the Mets uh, had developed a, a lot of players with big drug problems. We had a radio station losing record amounts of money. And we had Don Imus, who had spent the last five years in and out of rehab. So I said, we got the Mets with drug problems, the station losing a lot of money. And we've got Don Imus, who has had a history of his own substance abuse. What could possibly go wrong by putting all these things together? Uh, but we put it together uh, and it was magic. Don never had another substance problem in his life. Um, and, uh, and the station turned around, we put Mike and the mad dog on, and then it became one of America's most iconic stations. And, uh, so I went from idiot to genius on that project. And, uh, it, and people always say to me, did you, did you envision six, 700 radio stations doing all sports? And I said, I couldn't even envision one doing all sports after the first year. I mean, didn't you think, wow, will people sit around 24 7, 365 and talk about sports? Wasn't that something that you were like, is there enough content to fill a 24 hour cycle? It was always the question, well, we wanted IMUS. We wanted IMUS before we, before we, you know, when we first put the station on the air, Greg Gumbel is our first morning man, but we wanted IMUS because he had a crossover audience. Um, a lot of males liked him. He talked about, you know, politics and he talked about sports and he talked about everything. So we thought you could cross over that a little bit better than just all sports in the morning. Um, it's funny. It changed everything. Um, I'll tell you a funny story when I got into baseball, um, all sports radio, because there became a market for it and people could talk about it. It really changed the nature of the relationship between players and owners and fans. Um, and it used to be, if you were an owner, you were a player, you're a manager and somebody, you know, ripped you in the newspaper, you, you read the column at eight in the morning, you'd put it down and that was it. But with all sports radio, you could get attacked 24 seven. So it really did change the nature. Most people in sports management ownership, uh, and players might tell you it changed it for the worse. Um, funny story, a few years later, I'm in Seattle, uh, and I own the Mariners and one of my dear friends who was another owner was in Seattle and he's driving around town and he's listening to me 
as the owner of the Mariners and the inventor of the format getting attacked by one of the hosts. And he said, you know, I'm not a religious man, but to think that the guy who invented this format that ruined all of our lives uh, is now an owner and getting ripped by the format he create, created proves to me there's a God. Um, so that, that, you know, it, it did, it did change everything. It was ironic, right? Very ironic. Yes. You've worked with, like you said, Imus, uh, Mike and the Mad Dog, uh, David Letterman. I mean, yep. some really iconic broadcasters. Yeah. What makes for a compelling talk show host? Somebody who really has a, has a feel, uh, for the communities in. Somebody who really has a relationship with people, uh, somebody who can feel the pulse of its market, and whether that's local or national, uh, somebody who relates to his or her listeners. What do you think about this? As we've seen sports radio grow and, you know, the TV networks grow, there wasn't an ESPN back then. People laughed and said, you can't put a sports network on TV for 24 yeah. 7, 365 yeah. and have people. Yep. Watch out, there's not enough to, to show. But what's happened yes. is the media people have become as much of a part of the story as the people they're covering. Absolutely right. And there's, there's old schoolers who go, well, cover the person you're covering and let them be the story. Yeah. Don't you as the media person be the story. But I know, you know, there's a lot of successful people who yeah, have made themselves the, the story. Yeah. And, but it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, there, there was a big debate a few years ago when they paid, uh, um, I think Al Michaels got $15 million a year and, uh, uh, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman got whatever it was. And, and, you know, people say, how, how can this be? And the answer is that, you know, we also love our personalities. I'm not sure that a play by play announcer is going to make, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a Colts, uh, you know, Texans game, uh, in, in, in December compelling, of course they would, you know, you and had Joe Buck and Troyman on that game anyway, but, but, um, you know, I think having great personalities, uh, Peyton Manning tells a story about the fact, uh, that when his, his grandfather knew that, uh, John Madden was covering his game, it was a big game. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they, there's no question personalities make a big difference. When you see something like the Manning cast, yeah. do you say that's the future or is that an anomaly that can only be pulled off by Peyton and Eli? Well, that's a great question. Um, and I'm a big Peyton fan. I've known him here from Indianapolis for a long time. Um, there's no question they, his personality and his interplay with Eli has given them, um, you know, a, a certain amount of cachet that is going to be hard to duplicate. I know they're trying it in baseball. They're trying it in some other things. Um, I, I still think that most people are still going to want to watch the play-by-play, -play, you know. All right, let's talk about your time with the Mariners. You alluded to okay. this earlier. It was a little bumpy. It, it wasn't yeah. the ideal run from, what was it, 1989 to 1992. Yeah. What? Yeah made it so bumpy well but basically we we and i and i've always said i think the job that's funny because i was with senator campbell just today and maria who's a u.s senator in in you know in those days was a state senator she's a big baseball fan and she talked about how we really 
Uh, and this is something I've always been proud of. We really marketed and created at least an entity that people cared about. Um, I don't think we really understood the relationship between baseball and the community. I think our people did a great job of marketing and creating a, a winning atmosphere, uh, but we just didn't have the money. I, I joke, you know, we couldn't afford to lose $15, 20000000 million a year. Uh, right after we got in, we got hit with a $12 million collusion payment. Um, we never got a TV contract. Um, so we were, I always joked at the time, to own the Mariners in the days before revenue sharing, you really needed to be a billionaire. But if you owned the Yankees or the Dodgers and you had a paper route, you'd be okay. Yeah. So, we, we, you know, I was not, I was not capable of funding those kind of losses in those days. Do you think it's easier to own a baseball team today than it was back then because of the revenue sharing, because of the money that's coming in from the media deals and such? Yeah, it is. Although what's happened to valuations has just been crazy. The economics, teams are profitable now. But you've had so many billionaires who bid up values that, right. you know, the Phoenix yeah. Suns sold for $4 billion to the team that maybe makes $30, $40 million a year. Well, that's, there's, no, there's no way that that can ever be a viable business investment. But if, you've, you know, if, you're, if you're Matt and you've got, you know, $9, 10000000000 billion, what the heck? Uh, $6 billion for the Redskins. Um, so the, 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 the valuations have grown almost independent of the business. The businesses have gotten better. And the NFL, by the way, is the world's best business. Um, that's a great business. But baseball and basketball are now nominally profitable. In some markets, they're more than that. Um, but but the, they don't bear any relationship to the prices that they've been valued at. That's merely a function of being bid up. By, I always said the difference between then and now is in 1989, we may have had 50 billionaires. Today, we have 1,000 billionaires. Right. And that's really changed the dynamic of the economics of sports. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. 5G is here. Is your stadium ready? From an immersive fan experience to efficient game day operations, 5G is transforming sports and entertainment. If you're ready to jumpstart your 5G transformation, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is one of the largest operators of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. They provide stadiums and arenas with state-of-the-art 5G networks and support teams across the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, and NCAA. I'm constantly interacting with sports executives, and the reason they love working with Boingo is because Boingo manages 5G and Wi-Fi networks end-to-end offloading very stretched IT teams. Whether your stadium is looking to support mobile ticketing, cashless payment, or connected operations, Boingo has you covered. But don't just take it from me. Their customers include world-class venues like Soldier Field, State Farm Arena, Petco Park, and University of Louisville. Boingo in 5G. Now that's what I call a win-win. For a limited time, Boingo has a special offer for Sports Business Radio listeners. They're offering a free 5G assessment for your stadium or arena. To get started, simply email sbradio at boingo.com and mention this podcast. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. I've had a lot of owners on this show. And yeah. 
you know, part of the cachet is you're buying something that only a very few number of people can buy, right? You're in the club. Absolutely right. You're in the club. They know they're going to lose money or break even at best, but they've got entry into the club. This is something they can keep in their family. I mean, Matt Ishby has already said, the new owner of the Suns, he's like, I'll never sell this team. This will stay in my family for as long as, you know, my family's alive and and the generations are alive. So some people buy it for that reason too. Because again, it's just one of those things that, not many people yeah. can get their their hands on. But do you think you have yeah. to go into it today going, all right, we're in the club, but we're not going to make money doing this? Yeah, you, you, you can't justify the purchase prices. Um, in the NFL, you know, you can make two, $250, million a year, a little bit more of a bigger franchise. But, but you know, it, we used to value most assets, broadcast assets at 10 times. Well, you know, it, even if you make $250 million, uh, and you multiply it by 10 times, that's two and a half billion dollars. There are no baseball teams and no basketball teams making that kind of money. So, you know, would the, the chance, so let's see the, the, you know, the Phoenix Suns. So Matt would have to make $400 million to make it a 10 times purchase. I don't think you're ever going to see a time. So the team can be profitable, but it can't service the debt. But if you come in and you pay all cash, $4 billion and, you don't have to have a return on that investment. You'd be fine. Yeah. Although the media rights keep going up and up and up, right? For the yeah, NBA and the NFL, not really for anyone else, but the NFL yeah. and the NBA, those rights are skyrocketing. Yeah. They have been unbelievable. In the, the NFL, you know, I, I love the NBA, but the NFL really is the one. I mean, you are getting, you know, a, probably each team will get $425 million a year with a new TV deal. Um that is hard to replicate anywhere else. I think the NBA is probably going to, you know, that they hope to double, uh, you know, I think they're $3 billion a year, maybe six or seven, uh, but the NFL's at 15. Um, so again, hard to know. Um, but I would tell you that there are also storms, clouds on the horizon. Uh, over the air TV is struggling a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the great growth of the over-the-air networks has been because of retransmission consent. That is based on, you know, it, it was based originally on 105 million people paying, you know, um, the the networks a couple bucks a month. Uh, we're now down to, I think, 65 million people and declining. You know, I, and I, I always said that, it, and I hope I don't get too far in the weeds, but I, maybe this example is the best way to describe it. Somebody said, describe the economics of sports. And I said, sports has really been having everybody pay for what 30% of the population um, cares about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I gave the example of an 85-year-old grandmother in, in Pasadena. And she's had the cable bundle forever. And she's paying her $130 a month. And out of that $130 a month, she's paying $10 a month for ESPN. And $6 a month for the Dodgers and $5 a month for the Lakers and $4 a month for the Angels and the Kings and the Pac-12. So she's paying $30 a month for sports. She doesn't know the Dodgers left Brooklyn. And the problem with that is that that has been the heart of sports. When everybody pays for what some people care about, that has, that's what led to the you know, monstrous growth in sports valuations. And, and, but. But as that breaks apart, now everybody's scrambling. As you know, Bally Sports mm-hmm. uh, is in bankruptcy. 
and the question is, is there a way to replicate that model just on a, on a direct to consumer basis? And the problem is, and I've lived this, you know, ESPN is wrestling away with it again. You know, if, if only 30% of the population cares about, you know, Indiana Pacer basketball, but a hundred percent of the population's on cable and they're paying for it. You know, if they come off of cable and the Pacers have to go direct or Bally has to go to direct to the consumer, how much they have to pay. Most people are saying it's $20 a month. I think the Red Sox started at $30 a month. Problem is that that's a very steep price. And that, you know, really, really narrows down the number of people who are going to pay. So yeah. nobody has been able to crack the code on making that map work. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I mean, you see what yeah. the streaming services have done. Which, yeah. You know, those are all direct to consumer. Right. Netflix, Apple, Max, right. Right. everyone. And, you know, people have wanted a la carte for a long time. They haven't right. wanted to pay for things that they're not using. Right. And, but right. you wonder how are the sports entities going to stay alive? And well, that's, yeah, that's, that's the question. The question is, you know, is, is if, if you said that the Indiana Pacers had a million people paying five bucks a month um, for their cable rights, and all of a sudden the cable bundle drops down to 300,000 people a month, then all of a sudden, how do you reach those other 700,000 people? And how many of those 700,000 people will pay not $5 a month, but maybe $20 a month mm -hmm. to watch the Indiana Pacers and the, you know, the, or the, or the trailblazers. You know? Right. Yeah. All right. I want to talk about the future of sports radio because okay. I'll tell you my path. I started this as AM radio in 2004, sports business radio. First guest was the late commissioner, David Stern. And I adored David. So did I. He was a mentor and a, a very good friend and, you know, always honored that he was my first ever guest. So Maybe. we started, go ahead. As if you read my book, you'll find out that one of my great career mistakes was David offered me the Rockets when I got out of baseball and I turned him down. Uh, it's a long story. We have to read the book. Okay. Uh, but, but David, uh, David was very kind to me. We worked on all sorts of TV stuff. And yeah. a matter of fact, one of my favorite stories, David called me one day at the end of our tenure in Seattle. And he said, I have a bet with somebody. He, I, he said, here's the bet. I bet somebody. The question was, if you were offered the Seattle Mariners today for free, and the only two conditions were you had to stay in Seattle for 10 years, and the economics of baseball couldn't change, would you take the team for free? And I let, instantly laughed and said, no, David, because I said, in 10 years, your free baseball team would have cost you $500 million. And I said, and, and that doesn't deal with the psychic cost to beat your head against the wall every day <laughs> in fighting some of the politicians. So he laughed. He said, I knew that's what you'd say. Uh, yeah. But I love David. Wonderful guy. And uh, may he rest in peace. Yeah, he was. He was a visionary. I mean, two of you yeah. together having these conversations, that's two visionaries getting together. We had a lot of fun, yeah. a lot, lot of fun. So this started as AM radio. Then we went to right. satellite radio. Then right. in 2013, I think it is, we went full podcasting because yeah. I hated taking commercial breaks every 10 minutes and having yep. a guest wait on hold on the phone. I understand. And, um, I want, like I did in, in 2016, I sat down 
for 90 minutes in New York in front of a studio audience with David. And he yep. told stories that were unbelievable. And there's no parameters of a podcast like there is yep. with radio. Yep. Everyone has a podcast now. I mean, it's yep. just funny. I, I feel like I'm one of the pod fathers starting yep. in you know, 2004. Um, yep. So with all of that being said, and yep. you know, we see that radio's importance has definitely declined in the last yep. several years. And yep. You know, your people who are doing big podcasts, they're not going to radio to do them. They're going to the podcast format to do right. that. Is podcasting going to be the dominant form of talk audio going forward? Or is radio still going to have a place in people's lives? Well, radio will have a place in people's lives. And of course, I, you know, we've sort of voted with our feet. I love the business more than anybody, but we have sort of sold everything but our last two stations. I lease one to ESPN. And when that leases up, we've said we will sell it. Mm -hmm. um, it is a business that will always have, uh, you know, a place because uh, it's significant in the car. It's free. The distribution cost is very, very minor. Um, radio has really suffered death by a thousand cuts, whether it was streaming audio, whether it was satellite radio, now it's podcasting. Um, so it, it doesn't go away. It just gets a little smaller every day. Um, and podcasting clearly, um, it, it resonates. The challenge of podcast, as you know, is the economics. Can you get enough people subscribing or sell enough ads? You know, I, I always say all of life's a math question. If the math mm -hmm. works, all is, all is well. If it doesn't work, then it's a tougher challenge. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there, though, that are actors, uh, yep. you know, who have a lot of money, who don't care if they make yes. any money doing a podcast. Well, that's, and, yeah, my yeah. first, my first question to college kids is, are you getting into a business or a hobby? Right. You know, a lot of things, a lot of things are hobbies. They're never going to make any money. Now, if you need to feed your family, you make sure it's a business. Yeah. That's really good. All right. I want to go back to the Mariners for a minute, because you pulled something sure. off with the Mariners that, yeah. We've never seen, and we may never see again, Ken Griffey Sr. and Jr. Right. And Jr. has been on this show with me. And, you know, I think the world of him, and I've lived in the Pacific Northwest for a long time, so I saw him in his heyday. But what was it like bringing father and son together on that team? It was wonderful. That was, matter of fact, there were very few pictures and mementos I say, I'm in my office home tonight, and somewhere here is the is the lineup card that they both signed. Wow. Uh, wow. First night ever. Um, you know, one, and I have a picture on my desk. I, I'm not a big memento guy. Yeah, that's um, a big one, though. But but I have a picture on my desk. I was a kid who grew up uh, idolizing Willie Mays. And I have a picture from spring training with Ken Jr. and Cedar Willie Mays. But I that's one picture I saved. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I um, Junior was the best. I loved Junior. I loved his dad. Being able to put them together, one of the great memories of all time. Yeah. Well, and when they went back to back home runs oh, uh, in yeah. a game, I, I mean, was, that I was, was like actually, fairy tale. That was, yeah, that was in, I think it was in Anaheim. I was at a broadcast convention and we were in a, a bar late at night uh, after meetings and we were in the bar and, oh my gosh, the Mariners game's on. And I'm sitting there watching with friends and they went back to back and it was like, oh my God, this is just heaven. Uh, one other, you know, cause there was a road game and I had, I wasn't at the game, but I happened to see it on TV. But, uh, being there when they, when they started, you know, obviously I was in Seattle for all of that. And wonderful. Yeah. All right. Your book, 
Why did you write it? What do you hope people take away from reading your book? Well, I wrote it at the behest of my daughter, who's now just finished her freshman year at Georgetown. I would drive her to school every day. I love Georgetown, um, by the way. Yeah, it's a great place. I, even though I'm a big USC guy, um, in fact, I think you can see in the sign in my office, Trojans Forever up there. Yeah. People can see that. But yeah. uh, um, and I've been an undergraduate law school SC. I've been on the board of trustees for 20 some years. But I, I, I love how happy she is at Georgetown. But I would drive her to school every day from kindergarten until, well, until she fired me. She got her driver's license in high school. Um, <laughs> but we would just talk about life. And one day she said, Dad, nobody would ever believe these stories. Yeah, I, I'm a big lesson guy. Here's what I learned here. So the book hopefully is a lot of very, very funny stories. Uh, I think the most gratifying thing is, is the response of people who've read it. Uh, they think it's funny and they came away learning a lot of fun stuff. So I, I'm, I've been, it's, it's the most, you know, gratifying thing I've ever done. Uh, cause I, I've heard from people everywhere, um, how much fun they had reading and how much they learned. So I, I hope people learn some important lessons in life. Um, you know, that's what I hope. That's great. All right. Let's end on this. Um, you've yeah. been around radio and broadcasting for a long time. I know I have my inspirations, people who yeah. have inspired me in this industry. Yeah. Who are the top three or four people who have inspired you in the broadcast industry? It could be on air or behind the scenes. Well, you know, I, I think most of the people who inspired me are my peers. Um, mm -hmm. I started with a guy named John Dilley. Uh, I look at some of the early pioneers uh, of the industry, um, yeah, you know, who, who came before me, I, I just adore them. Uh, the John Fetzers of the world who own the Tigers. Um, um, some of the people, you know, at, at WGN, um, the Cap Cities people, um, you know, and, um, that, I, that I adored. I had one mentor in sports who's been really probably of my, of my mentors, it's Jerry Reinsdorf. Jerry has been a big brother to me wow. for 30 years. Uh, you know, we, we kid all the time. I adore him. Um, as a matter of fact, he has one of the liner notes. Uh, you know, we, we have this fun relationship. I think the, the quote is Jeff Smoney is the kindest person I've ever met, the smartest person I've ever met and the funniest person I've ever met, except for every other person I've ever met. I mean, that's, that kind of sums up our relationship. I love Jerry. Uh, and I've had so many peers in the industry from all over, from CBS and uh, the Clear Channel, the Mays family, and uh, a friend named Bud Walter. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. What was David Letterman early 70s like? David was brilliant. Um, you know, David was a weekend weatherman. When we hired him, I, we had mutual friends. We're the exact same age. David is five days younger than me. It was fun because the station was, it was catering to an older audience. Uh, it was a talk station, you know, 65 plus typical listeners. And here's David and me. We're both 25 year old guys. Um, and it was, it was kind of hilarious. Um, David would do all sorts of stuff. I, I've told a story, a couple of stories where, uh, one day I came back from lunch and a guy called me and said, you got a communist on the air. I said, what do you mean? He said, Letterman's a communist. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I called him and I said, look, I know there are communists in Carmel, Indiana. And I asked Letterman, what are you going to do about it? And Letterman said, I think you got to give the communist Carmel. 
the football team's lousy. The traffic is always a mess. You can never find a parking place. So let's give them caramel and hold the line at the next suburb. That was the kind of stuff, David. And David, you know, I've kind of told the story about, you know, one day he said, you know, the city of Indianapolis has traded the monument in the center of town to Guam for a, a 300 foot stick of salary. And people were calling, you know, saying, oh, my God, you can't get rid of the monument. And David said, look, we need more greenery downtown. That celery stick will look good. Um, he just did all sorts of stuff. Brilliant, funny. We stayed in touch. David went on my board for a while when they dedicated the uh, Letterman building at Ball State. Um, the university asked me to give the keynote speech. And, uh, and it was probably the worst decision I ever made. Uh, they said, we want you to speak for 20 minutes before David goes on. And. And, and I and I've said when we got up to speak, I found out like the day before there were going to be thirty five thousand people. So I called the president of the university and I said, "If I speak for twenty minutes while they're waiting for Dave, they'll kill me." And I, I remember getting up saying, "There's, there's thirty five thousand people here, and not one person in this crowd, including my own wife, wants to hear me." But I promised the president I'd give you a keynote. So here we go. But Dave oh, was brilliant, just brilliant. There's something about theater of the mind in the audio format too, don't you think? Yeah. Absolutely, positively. Absolutely, yeah. positively. And it's always been my first love. I think it broke my heart that we moved on. We're doing other things now. Um, but I love the business. And I think it was always a chance to be so much more inventive. Um, we had so much fun. We, we sort of invented modern hip-hop radio and all sports and, and the variation of, you know, Top 40 and album rock. So we, we just had so much fun. Jeff Smolian, the author of the book, Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down, The Ups, Downs, and Reinvention of an Entrepreneur. You, my friend, have done many amazing things in your life. It is a pleasure to be able to speak with you. Thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. Thanks, Brian. My pleasure. It's a lot of fun. Talent, hard work, focus, and determination got you here. Now take the right steps to prepare for your future and ensure that you stay at the top of your game, your business, your craft. Morgan Stanley Sports and Entertainment is a division of Morgan Stanley Wealth Management dedicated to serving the unique and sophisticated needs of elite and professional athletes, entertainers, executives, creators, and other top talent and professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. They deliver the education, strategies, and expertise you need to help advance your financial game plan at every stage of your career journey. They speak the language. They know your business. Morgan Stanley will work with you to achieve your goals. I've trusted Morgan Stanley with my personal wealth management for almost 20 years. Visit Morgan Stanley at morganstanley.com backslash GSE. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. And thanks to the Sports Business Radio team, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Ryan Nakajima, Colby Ackerman, and from our friends at CG Sports, CG Young and Nicole Wardle. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions. Griggsproductions.com.